Hey everyone, welcome to Art Meets, a podcast. I'm your host, Paida, and your other host is Precious Mone. Today we are joined by Sinzeni Mahasela. Mahasela is a cross-disciplinary artist who explores photography, video, prints, and mixed-medium installations involving textiles and embroidery. Her work deals with history, memory, and personal narrative, emphasizing historical gaps and overlooked figures. Hey guys, Precious here. I hope everybody's doing well on the internet. Um, inspired by her exhibition, Waiting for Gabane, which is currently on show at the Zeitz Museum of Contemporary Art Africa in Cape Town, we engaged with Maracela's works and unpacked the multiplicities of waiting as endured by Black women in varying circumstances and experiences. Uh, we're also joined by Tammy Langtree, who's another member of Art Meets, and she'll be giving us her insights as well into Maracela's work. Hope you enjoy the podcast. We kind of talked about was how existentialism from at least a Western or European point of view mm-hmm. is very much about the individual. So how yes. does it's an individual feeling of feeling a kind of dread about existing in the world. But then Ubuntu uh-huh. does the opposite of that. And Ubuntu is about yes. a communal engagement with people. Yes. So, you know, we all saw the show at Zeets waiting for Gabane. And yes. I think there's something, there's like an internal, well, there's like an external loneliness that I felt from the show, especially yes. as Theodora's wandering through the city. So maybe yes. the first thing I want to ask you is like, do you feel existential <laughs> about your work or is there anything existential that you think about? Uh-huh. Okay, because, you know, I think when, when I was conceptualizing the work many years ago um, and the journey, it was going to be so solitary, the journey, I think. And it's also why I, in most of the work, I don't even include Gebane. No one knows what he looks like. Um, and, and, um, and I don't attempt to imagine him or make him available for people. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, because I'd taken the decision to make this a kind of a solitary journey, you know, a journey that, because you must remember that a lot of the stories um, that I used for this, you know, and especially starting off with uh, Jabulon Debele's book, The Cry of Wune Mandela. Mm. I, th- I think you're also looking at four existential journeys as well. Um, mm-hmm. Of those four women in the book who, who, who become so isolated and so traumatized by their circumstances um, that they begin to have imaginary conversations with Winnie whom they've never met whom they don't know, you know, as a way of escaping the, the hardships and the dread of their daily lives. Um, so my Theodora was more or less fashioned in that direction, you know, as, as in, in one way needing to enter the city without burden, without company. So it is a lonely journey. So I think when I when I walked through it, you know, before the opening, the morning of the opening, I just realized that there's just there, there is that solitary thing that rings through the entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you know a lot of that work that is uh, <clears throat> you know speaks of this Theodora who, you know, I try to find a lot of joy in the work that I do. You know, I think I presented it in, in a body of work there. Um, yeah. where I was on holiday where I escaped yeah, with, with this ugly <laughs> figure. Yeah. Um, so it is a lonely journey. Well, it was a lonely journey. Um, 
I mean, I was just going to comment on the the escape to the different locations, the work where you are in different locations, when Theodora is in different locations, um, and then there's like the stick figure of Gibane, which I think we found to be really humorous. Um, and it was so interesting. I mean, like you said, like you don't try to present Gibane. He's just kind of this imaginary non-figure, but he exists mm-hmm. in many different ways. Um, yes. And that are not necessarily like a body, but that could be like metaphors. And I even think in that specific work, the buildings behind the places, the destinations, do they kind of act as like a metaphor for Gabane? Like, is he kind of embodied in locations, geographical locations? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think particularly that body of work where. Um, you know, I think I, I created it towards the end um, of the performance, uh, you know, because I think a lot of people that, I mean, I, I live in Soweto, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people regularly inquired about him, mm. you know, because I wore the dress every day. Um, um, and, and it's basically all I was seen in, uh, began to inquire about this man, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 I guess because a lot of things happened throughout the journey of performing uh, Theodora uh, while I was waiting for Gebane, and, and and it did get lonely. Um, I think a lot of the times mm. um, that, that that for me that work and it's, it is quite a large body of work actually um, because it, it it's about to come together all of it uh, in another show in Berlin in in a couple of weeks to come. Um, that, that, that work, you know, is one, an escape, and also number two, recalling images from my childhood, you know, because mm. we grew up in, in, in whatever black middle class was in the 80s. And we had a photo studio where we used to go and take images there. And there was backdrops of Beckham Palace, uh, the Eiffel Tower. This guy always just put mm. up backdrops. Um, you know, so most people would go there on Sunday. And we used to queue with people on Sundays there, you know, to take the places that we'd never seen. We didn't know if they really existed. You know, so, <clears throat> you know, I think I embodied... Um, Gabane in the dress and the look that I wore, you know, I think heavily um, in it, you know, and, and also because of the choice of putting it on every day. That in that work um, that I did, you know, it, it was some form of um, everyday um, existence as Theodora was continuously in the same dress, continuously fighting the struggle of entering the city and of trying to live in the city, that going on holiday on in my mind, um, escaping, I guess, my own reality as both Theodora and Zazeni, that those images were created. Um, mm. I, I think in the entire body of work, even though Kebane is not present, there's no way of escaping him. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think there was a point in w- where I could uh, escape him. Um, you know, and 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 I think it also 
wrote the decision not to show him, you know, not to draw him, not to allow people to um, to see him um, and just keep him as this enigma. So that's why it's just as mm-hmm. small, very quick lines. He exists as that in the work. Even like even to this idea of when you were saying earlier, like a loneliness with the door, it made me start to wonder about a potential loneliness that you feel as Senzeni and how the door and Senzeni might bleed yes. into each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and where does that yes. line, not necessarily line, but where does that space gray or blur of performance, this enigmatic figure, but also speaking to a reality for so many people and embodying not just the Adora, but embodying generations, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I personally, no, because I refused to take the dress off um, for, for a number of reasons. And I, I think one of the earliest uh, memories of being in this dress was when I'd be in family functions. You know, and and my my sisters and other female cousins were struggling with how I looked, and friends as well. You know, who thought me being on this dress every day and consistently, um, and and deciding to show up with it at weddings and parties and family events and funerals was a bit too much for them. You know, because then. You know, they, they would rather me have made an effort to look a particular way that would please them. And then I and then I noticed that when it came to taking family photographs, nobody wanted me in them. You know, they, they would always um I, I was almost taking pictures actually most of the time. Um and then you know, and they would always call each other together and bundle up and take pictures, and then I somehow I would be missing from the from the family images. And then I decided when I came back overseas to buy myself a camera. This was like 2017. Let me buy myself a camera with a self-timer, you know, as a, so that I can take pictures and be in them, you know, so that I'm, I'm also part of family memory and and family history that I'm, I'm not missing while I'm performing Theodora from family and memory. Um, because I mean, I mean, a, a lot of my friends, who, well, whichever friends I'd left during the performance, they, they were absolutely livid by the way that I looked. And I remember one of them telling me if you know I should consider choosing uh, it up, as she would call it. You know, putting in accessories and finding different head <laughs> gears and shoes, and maybe putting in makeup and. You know, because I was also going through um, like a process which is genetic, where I was just I lost we will, I lost facial hair like eyebrows, eyebrows just went. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and they're growing back now, but I just didn't have them for the large part of the performance. You know, <laughs> and they were so desperate for me to go and microblade or or do um, some other procedure. So at least I have eyebrows <laughs> if I'm not going to make up on, um, you know. And then and then and then I, and, I, and then you know one has like moments, like very moments when I was kind of taken back and startled when I was in parties, when when people would think I work in a place where the party was, you know, would ask me to clean glasses, would ask me for a mop, where was the bathroom. Um, 
you know, we, we, because, you know, one, you don't, you know, as much as I understood that there would be resistance, there are things that you just don't anticipate. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I kind of struggled with those things, um, you know, and I think those are some of those things that kind of led to quite a lot of loneliness while I was performing because then I would be reluctant to go out again. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, and, and be seen in public, you know, and I did go to clubs like once or twice, three times, and I was a freak in there. So, um, so, so like, you know, because one, uh, you know, I couldn't also stop being Senzeni, you know, because I'm a, I'm a mother, um, you know, and I have to go to parents' meetings, attend to my children's things, um, you know that that in, in that level, I still remained the Senzeni, and to family members, I still remained the Senzeni. Yeah. Um, I, I guess then it's just um, outside of that, um, people who didn't know me, uh, who didn't know my story. You know, then I was just this rural woman in this red dress that they saw very consistently for such a long time. Um, I. I think I carried them both, Senzeni and, and, and Theodora. Mm-hmm. I'll bet with a lot of difficulty. Um, but I carried both of them. I, mm. I carried both of them. Um, you know, one is aware of the multiple stories that I carried as well, because this just wasn't my mother's story. Um, you know, of traveling so far from where she was born uh, to try and come into the city, you know, to come in and um, be traumatized by what she experienced and witnessed and and take a decision she doesn't want to go because she hasn't been in the city center in years. I think probably 30 years that she hasn't been in the city center. Um, Mm -hmm. To... You know, and to think of other aunts that I have who've just gone back to the villages when they finished working and they were, you know, completely done with Joburg. Um, you know, and in because before Theodora comes to Joburg, there was another body of work that I did. Uh, Theodora comes to Joburg. Because I think for me, this journey probably starts in 2002 when I saw Jim comes to Joburg on TV. Uh, it was called what it was what's known as the African Jim, the movie about Jim who comes to Joburg. You know, he gets beaten up and he gets mugged, but he still continues to pursue his dreams of singing. Yeah. Um, in a jazz club. And he does that. Um he, he sings and then while he's there, he, he spots his people who mugged and who beat him up. And he must make decisions um about what is he going to do now with his people? And then he also realizes there's so many of them in the city, mm-hmm. people who behave this way and how impersonal the city is and how alienating it is and how when you are not from the city, the way that you behave quickly marks you out, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and sometimes you get ostracized by it. So, and so you know, a lot of the women, besides being marked by their gender, um, because they're alien by, you know, um, you find them on the peripheries of cities. I think everywhere. I don't yeah. think there's actually one city that I've seen, both in the continent and outside, where women are right in the middle of the center. They're always on the edges. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones who are running small shops, boutiques, 
Um, they're the ones who are hawkers or whatever else that you want to call them. You know, they're the ones who have peripheral jobs in society. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I, I try to kind of elevate Theodora from this peripheral existence, mm-hmm. um, you know, by trying to make it come in the city. You know, I think up until I end the, the performance, she was still in the edges of the city. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm, 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 you know, I've, so when, when this, so I've decided to kind of take time out um, another two years where I'm going to develop this body of work about Theodora in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, one has to go through a, a process. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm also... Yes. So that, like, <laughs> you talked mm-hmm. about the dreams, this character in this movie, and it just made me wonder, like, what are Theodora's dreams as well in coming to Joburg? Like, is it was it only ever just about Gabane or was she also exploring her own sense of agency as she's in the city, exploring her dreams and what she wants? Um, and was it also just, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of economic needs for women who go to the city who was in the periphery, but like, I think Theodora like inserts herself in the center at some points too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Theodora has a lot of dreams. You know, I think, um, the next body of work, which is going to be about her in Joburg, was going to be a realization of that, you know, of the dreams that she has of, of um, pursuing um, Joburg. You know, so she already has some social status, if being a teacher is, is that, you know, and she already has, in a, in a way, speaks for herself. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 you know as she enters the strangeness of Joburg, um, you know and 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 of course there's quite a lot of research that one is, has been doing about women that live in the city, mm-hmm. um, you know, very interested in Hillbro she is mm. uh, in in the next episode of the work, um, because I don't know any piece of Joburg that has undergone so much transition as Hillbro has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from because I because I I was I we were I were going to Hillbros in the eighties. I still remember it in the eighties. I remember it in the early nineties. You know, being this multicultural hub of nightclubs, of societies, of poetry sessions, of the Hillbros mm-hmm. of Simon Coley and your Beverly Dizzies and. There were so many people, and Brenda Farsis, and so a lot of the very early performers in the country were in Hillbrow. You know, that's when they found popularity and, 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 I, and I guess found themselves, you know, because here was a space that was all accepting, um, that was alive 24-7, um, that was largely um, left alone by the police and administration. Um, and then you also go back to a story of Bubbles and Bondo, um, who I don't know if you know the story. No. Um, she, well, I'm, well, I'm going to explain briefly who Bubbles and Bondo was and why I find it so fascinating and, and why I'm, I'm going to look into her and other women in the next installation of work. Bubbles and Bondo 
was a model. This is the 70s now. Comes to Joburg, similar journey to Theodora. Comes with, you know, she wanted to be a top model. And, and, I, and I think she also won some um, a modeling uh, competition. Mm-hmm. And she and she was regarded as very beautiful, beautiful um, woman. She came from BE, but in order for her to come here and be beautiful and be accepted, she had to deny her past life because she left a child and a husband behind. Comes to Joburg, has this glorious life, meets Jan Petrier, a bodybuilder, this African guy who was a mountain of a guy, very big, mm-hmm. and, and a very well-known bouncer in Hillbro. Uh, and this and this guy was very jealous um, of, of Bubbles, you know, and her success and her attention that she was getting. And at the time, Bubbles wanted to leave and go overseas and go and model there, you know, because she had found some relative success. And they were both found dead in a flat in Hillbro oh. because it was it was also only that space in Joburg that that relationship could be possible in the seventies that and many other relationships of that kind. Mm. Uh, whereas in the rest of the country, people would get harassed, arrested, and some of them had to escape and go to Swaziland or try and enter Zimbabwe because the homelands were still a very stronghold um, of the apartheid system. Um, there are artists who have looked at Bubbles and Bondo because there's a book that was written by Rala Zenopolis about Bubbles. Mm-hmm. It's a novel, you know, that touches briefly on a story. I worked on tracing her grave, I believe. Um, so so there, there's a number of artists or creative people, one can say, we've looked at the story of Bubbles Bond, but then she was not the only one, you know, that you get your non-Tlegonians who came to act in theatre here in Joburg. Mm-hmm. Um, people who preceded Brenda Fassi or Dorothy Masugus, you Abigail Gupegas. Mm-hmm. Um, because straight, strange enough, after I saw um, Jim, uh, Jim comes to Joburg, a year later I was in Amsterdam. And um, I was coming out of a train from my son and I was told there is a party and there's some South Africans there. So I went. So it was like nine o'clock in the evening, you know, um, because Amsterdam, you could walk at any time. Mm-hmm. I found Dorothy Masugu there. Wow. And that oh. party. Wow. And then we started talking about, because um, she was hiding behind the door. So I went and I sat with next to her and this woman wow. she was with. And we started talking about how hard it is for, to, for black women to be young in the, in, in the city of Joburg. You know, mm-hmm. and especially in terms of accessing opportunities and mm-hmm. the kind of difficulties that she had when she started out uh, in movies and in theater and, um, and and how she evaded arrest and tried to assist other women to escape arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating, fascinating three hours of my life sitting behind the door with Dorothy. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, so I think for me, Tim comes to Joburg and meeting Dorothy Masugu then led to the first installation, Theodora comes to Joburg. Mm-hmm. No, because I think that conversation with, uh, with Dorothy Masugu had a major impact on how I would now think and shape. Because she spoke a lot about loneliness. 
Mm. As well. Wow. That you know, yeah. she'd go and perform and she'd be busy and she'd be everywhere. But but she said that, but inside, you know, she there was just this lingering loneliness. Uh, because at, at one point, you know, people were lauding her for being this famous star who appears in King Kong and like mm. movies. And 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 one part of society, you know, thought she was an equivalent of a prostitute. Mm. You know, because she was out there working at night where a lot of women were still restricted to being at home, cooking, being homemakers. Um, you know, she was already modeling in bikinis uh, in a very conservative society. So then, yeah. as I say, the next installation of my work, um, there's a lot of investigation that's going uh, into it, which I'm busy with it now. Um, I still have to carry Theodora comes to Joburg with it for the next two years because there's a lot of work that came out of that. Um, a lot of multimedia work, you know, because for me, that was a way of documenting that work in like very painstaking processes of stitching, mm-hmm. of photomontages, uh, of repurposing the shows that I used um, mm. in earlier on in the performance, um, you know, to also try and put in a lot of narratives about Theodora's experiences, you know, in that work. Yeah, I think um, that sounds amazing. I, yeah, I, I feel like mm-hmm. the fact that you got to meet Dorothy Masuku and had this really intimate interaction that was so influential in your work. I mean, it's like there's a lineage here, right? It's like... Um, there's like a there's a canon of like whatever South African art historical lineage is, but maybe like it's bigger than just like visual art. It's like other yeah. things, and also there's I mean there's just like historical knowledge of like having to speak to this woman who's such a prolific figure in South African history. Um, was working in the city, mm-hmm. so it's, I mean I feel like Theodora. I mean it's it's clearly also part of her story, and I think it's part of many people's stories. Um, and I was wondering, like, the, you're talking about the material aspects in the work, the shawls that you use, the blankets, and they obviously, they carry mm-hmm. um, their own histories as well. And I'm also wondering how that material history of these objects has changed over time, or if it's significant that they, the meaning of them shifts, I guess, in different locations. No, I think for me, uh, you know, because I, I guess one could have chosen any other fabric to put on for the performance. Um, you know, the reason why I chose this treasure because it is this easily identifiable uh, cloth, which has all this colonial burden, mm. you know, with it. Um, you know, there was an exhibition that I never got to see, which happened in Olievenes in Blomfantin, because I saw it on TV quite briefly. Uh, about the history of the blanket that the Basutu wear, because they would put this treasure underneath and then on top they would uh, put the blanket, which are called Sana Maren. Um, you know, the, 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 the treasure, um, you know, has roots in, in the Basutu people, uh, which it also comes with German missionaries just as much as the, the, the blanket mm-hmm. came uh, with the French uh, immigrants. You know, so these these were like peasant uh, blankets. Um, so and then and the ones that I've used are Scottish. 
you know, they, they come with, with Scottish missionaries into the country. Um, you know, and, you know, I've always struggled with the idea that people, what black people now own, because they've used them so much, there's an ownership of this treasury now, mm-hmm. you know, that they've kind of localized this treasury. Um, you know, but it was also meant, uh, you know, as a very tribal marker, this treasury, you know, because we'd have this clan of Basutu wearing this type of treasury. So it was a way of colonial people, missionaries, identifying different clans with a different color of situation. Because that's how how petty the colonial project was, you know, know, even down to a specific color. Because I'm I'm closer. That Abatem would wear this different color and Fengus would have these different colors and Pondos would have these different colors, you know. So, so So you have the situation being the same thing you know, uh, and, 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 and older women, they also have names for patterns. Because apparently the pattern that I chose was called, uh, well, it's, it's still called Morirwa Mahua, which means a white people's hair. You know, and, and each cloth has a particular history and a particular way of using it, you know, which I thought was, was very, very strange. Because I saw a pattern and I thought, okay, I like this. It's old fashioned um, because all these new patterns, people buy them up very quickly. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought I want to stick to a pattern that nobody really buys so that I can come and buy it repeatedly to continue making the dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so I choose now this pattern um, and, and then got this guy because all my dresses are made by the same guy, uh, the seamstress from Malawi made all of them. And it is also in Matatela where my parents come from. It's a, it's a very common dress, that, that, that particular design, you know, because it gives you social status. Mm-hmm. People know that you're married once you have it on, you know, plus the duke, plus the shoulders that I put around my waist and my shoulder. Yeah. So when I, when I took a decision to take the, you know, because of course the, once you have a shawl around your waist and your shoulders, it means that you also knew in the, in the marriage, you've been recently married, um, which is also would be the reason for wearing the dress. You know, it's a sign that you are new. So the husband will usually buy the dress that you come in mm-hmm. to the wedding with. Um, so I think for me, I was interested in, in, in that, in the dress because of it, because of the link to Kebane dress. You know, I was, you know, of, of course, one at the back of, of one's consciousness is aware again of the colonial burden of his clothes. After about three years, then I decided to not wear the shawl around the waist because I, I thought, you know, I've been tied to Kevane long enough. I don't need these extra markers. But it's also because it was beginning to be quite heavy to carry them, the blankets. Uh, never mind that I would sweat like a pig under this, but. You know, because people were like interrogating me, you know, out of difficulty entering buildings and I was trying, because I was working at that time. You know, you'd be trying to go into mm-hmm. a meeting and people think you're a hawker, you've come to beg. And I had a lot of mm-hmm. run-ins with security as well. I had problems in restaurants, not going to meet clients. You know, so so I think besides any cultural reason, <laughs> that was one of the reasons why I took off the blankets. And then I decided to repurpose the blankets. Because I'd worked as an environmental an environmental lobbyist, I, uh, trying to to close schools that are around the reef. So there, so there's a lot of mind dust there, and there's a lot of women yeah. there who continue to suffer with children. 
Um, so I'd collected a lot of uh, mind maps, uh, failing slopes. So what is happening? The reef is sinking. So the reef would be from here in Soweto. This is that would be Orlando, all the way to Springs, and it runs on a road called the Main Reef, it goes all the way to Springs. So that's where all the mining happened for gold. So that's a large, well, it's a very long stretch of road. People are still mining it. A lot of women squat around those areas. Um, you know, and when I when I started digging in into this history, you know, of the residues of mining, here we have a country that made so much money, you know, off the back of cheap labor, and yet descendants of these people are, are still suffering, you know. Um, so I guess using those uh, the blankets and and putting wool in them, and using drawings of those um, uh, failing slopes, you know, I think it was also to talk about the excessive burden, um, you know, around the shoulders of women because these are these women in particular who have to carry the aftermaths, you know, of tragedies around mining areas. I mean, when we think of Marikana in the recent years. Mm. Um, you know, you know, I think even before the shooting, it, it was still women who were suffering in those communities. So that that accounts for what I was doing. And then other cloths uh, where, I've, where uh, I documented Theodora um, and the images appear as though they're disappearing and coming in. Um, I, I think for me, uh, the kafir sheets, uh, you know, it's so, it's so tied to Tosa history. We call it umpato, which is, which loosely means the cloth of hiding. You know, there's all these legends and myths in Kosa culture about how the first king known to escape Robben Island wrapped himself around in this umpato and swam to um, to the shore. Um, it's a story that's been disputed uh, many times, whether he did arrive. Some people say he died in the water. Um but then it was also very earlier on a prison cloth as well. You know, so people who went to prison were given those cloths. Um, and, and a lot of people who went to prison earlier, you know, were kings and, and chiefs amongst the closer people who were figures of resistance. Um, so, so this cloth became that, I guess, for a lot of the closer people. And also as a marker, I guess, or as a link to to this history of these Corsa kings who resisted um, the colonialism. Uh, you know, that cloth continues because, I mean, I still use it even now because I'm, I still have a lot of work here that I'm trying yeah. to complete uh, for the next show because I'm having another institutional show in the next coming months. Um, yeah. It's, so, so it's essentially all colonial cloths that I use. You know, mm-hmm. cloths that have have a colonial links, a very painful histories with them. Mm-hmm. Um, cloths that already tell a story. You know, so my work is is essentially layering on what on on, on that history. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to think about that the clots have this very colonial history, but then they kind of have, I don't know, like <laughs> through the time, whatever ages, through something, they kind of become transmutable and they become these very like black cultural signifiers. So that, that process is like really interesting. And it's also a process that is, you know, you can't really see it. It's such a, slow and long process because i mean i keep thinking like is it is the material 
um, the material has a colonial purpose and then the signifier shifts and layers mm -hmm. and um, mutates as, you know, you interact with different layers of its own history. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of the complicated ways you've, like, used photo montage, you've used um, uh, processes of archiving, um, whether that be sewing or drawing, um, mm -hmm. as these, you know, ways of, of adding layers to its purpose, to the material's purpose. Um, Everything about that speaks to me of endurance all mm. the way throughout, either of the materials of these women in their waiting, of the adora. It's, it, it all kind of sits to reinforce that feeling of enduring, mm. either enduring mm. through time, enduring in memory, mm. um, enduring in just existing as humans, as women through these times. So I feel like it, it reinforces that for me. What you were saying before about like, you know, you try to bring an element of joy. So in that waiting, I mean, that, that waiting has so much, like there's a lot of weighty, like history around that space. Yes. And also like all these joyous moments again. Um, yeah. In some ways, I was, I was thinking about um, this idea of, Bokoro and like strength and how that relates to the work or the exhibition. Because in some instances, you're definitely referencing this idea of endurance and strength and um, its contribution. But then in other ways, there's like a sense of fragility, a sense of softness, mm -hmm. a sense of all of these things. And I know you use these, you, I don't say you use, but you embody these icons. Um, because they give that sense of endurance and 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 connection too. Um, mm. But yeah, maybe on what uh, Pida is saying about uh, joy and pleasure and hope. Um, I don't know. I don't have a clear question, but it's almost how does Okodo kind of become a figure or a representation you work with? You know, I think I think one of the strangest things about uh, this. Uh, you know, I'd initially wanted to do this for a year. Uh, the performance. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, you know, I guess one had their own doubts about doing it. Um, but then after about three months of, of doing the performance, you know, I think that's when I made a lot of decisions about enjoying and, and also carrying the story, you know, because I think, I think one thing that was quite important for me uh, in the, in the in entire narrative was to make sure that Theodora becomes visible, um, becomes visible every in every possible way, um, in every level. Because, I, you know, I understood that as an artist, one has a privilege to travel. One has a privilege to access certain spaces that other people um, who are of Theodora's circumstances might not be, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, th I think that kind of spurred me on, you know, this idea that one could also travel and perform outside of the country, Theodora, um, could travel to like academic conferences with this Theodora, you know, so that I could carry her on many levels, you know, that I could cre increase this visibility for mm -hmm. Theodora stories and many, many other women who of her, of her circumstances. Um, and... Um, and then I remember at one time I, I was in Italy at, at the 
Venice Biennale. We went there with, as a Joburg Pavilion uh, in one of the fringe shows. Um, the first, second day that I was there, walking out of the shop, corner shop, these women stopped me and um, and then they, was, you know, without even greeting me properly, went on to tell me about a church where they look after refugees and um, and how I could come there and get some stuff and I could send stuff home. Um, you know, I th- you know, and and they were speaking amongst themselves while I was standing there, you know, and then talking to me. And then when they were finished, I introduced myself. I said to him, no, but it's it's uh, uh, Venice Biennale. I'm an artist. We all came here to see Venice and come and work and perform and meet artists. They just left me there. Mm. You know, and they disappeared very quickly. And then I realized that when we were, you know, and of course, getting held up at JFK Airport again, traveling. And I, you know, whereas in my, when I'm in the Eastern Cape, you know, I had the social status in this dress as this married woman. And, and, and most people that live here in Soweto, they would treat me in a particular way and men don't get call when you're in this dress and there's certain things that they don't do, you know, because they understand that you, you are a married woman, you know, to, to having the status when I'm in Soweto or in the rural areas. And then to, to have the look of poverty when I'm outside of the circles and I'm overseas, you know, appears this poor, desperate uh, Mm. refugee in some circles um, that, you know, even though, you know, a lot of these cloths, um, you know, were, were brought in by missionaries um, mm. in, into the continent, people in Europe have such a big dislocation to this history, you mm. know, of what was brought in by, 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 by colonialists into the country. But when they see you in, in these type of things, they're looking at peasants. Hmm. You know, they're looking at poor immigrants. Yeah, I mean, it also just speaks to like the 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 very dominant kind of imagined structure of what a person from Africa or what a black woman from Africa is supposed to look like, and how oh, that yeah. image has been transported in you know overseas yeah. places and stuff. Yeah, no, of course, I. Hmm. Um, but then it's, yeah, but I guess it's interesting that you, when you were inserting yourself in these spaces, you kind of disrupt that image when you were there as Theodora and you were speaking for yourself and saying, no, but I'm an artist and I'm doing this, this and that. Um, well, of course, in, in yeah. I think that I realized that after some time that, you know, when one is, when I was quiet and, and wearing my, my Theodora dress and my shawls, I was someone else. And then when I speak, then since then it comes out. Yeah. You know, um, and then because I think, I think in, in a way I startled quite a lot, quite a number of people, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and at times I, I had to raise my voice to fight for myself, you know, when, when I felt I was, I was feeling a bit threatened now in cornered, when I was about to get thrown out of buildings because they thought I was a walker. I was coming to sell people. I was meeting something. Um, that I, I think you know because since then it was there, it certainly helped. You know, yeah. it, it helped me carry Theodora and put her in those spaces. Uh, because otherwise, I can't imagine a, a woman um, who, who looked the way that I did for six years, how they survive and negotiate spaces. 
you know, um, when they don't look the part of the person, it should be in those spaces. Yeah. No, I can't, I, I, you know, and, and, and to kind of, you know, because I also was not running a social experiment, you know, trying to find out people's attitudes about mm -hmm. how one looks. You know, that was not my interest at all. Mm -hmm. Because, I, you know, I, one gets asked that question quite repeatedly. No, I know I wasn't. Um, uh, you know, because I, I knew, you know, that after some time, because when you start doing things, people do always think it's a gimmick. After mm -hmm. three weeks, you stop. <laughs> you, you'll get bored and go do something else. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, because I was a kind of, you know, I was so persistent in, in remaining visibly this Theodora, um, you know, and also not... Um, um, with drawing Senzeni while I was a Theodora, mm. you know, um, there's so many things like to say, it's reflective. <laughs> like your, your practice is so complicated in the best way, and like even just on your last comment, I was thinking about or looping back to the gym comes to Joburg and the fact that you know, this idea of a city is in some ways to remove a sense of of home from yourself and in some ways yeah. your refusal to remove certain things and to continue and to be persistent and endure you know is the gift um and so yeah that's why I say your work is complicated in such an amazing way and I think this idea of material culture and material history and material memory is like so inherent in the work and and teaches me for example how much uh yeah, how much there is to read and think and know um, just through material memory. Um, yeah, so I don't have a clear question, but it's always amazing to hear you speak and to, yeah, hear where you're at and, and how um, the work is progressing because it's never like over. I mean, there was a question I really wanted to ask about kind of you know, you said three months in, you you wanted to, you had to decide to continue. Um, what what um, what was the reasoning for closing the performance? And I know uh, you speak very much about uh, how you physically changed, and so you had to close. But was there an emotional change that happened that meant there was a closure or a need to close? Um, yeah, and what what do you carry into the next uh, you know chapter mm -hmm. or phase? Um, because carrying seems to also be an important element of us. Um, you know, you know, I think, I think, I think for me it was, it was, you know, because I'd spoken about it to quite a few people that I lived with and people that I was close to, that I, I'm going to embark on this journey of this durational performance. Um, you know, I think because they were so shocked when they, when they saw me repeatedly. You know, um, you know, especially my parents and, and close family, because I think the first three months of having the dress on, I must have been in about eight family functions, a couple of funerals, mm -hmm. one wedding, and, and a few other things. You know, I think I think the they, they immense shock when they saw me all those times, you know, and then like, are you serious? No, but but this is ridiculous. Where are you gonna work? And, and at the time I was working as a teacher as well in a high school when I started this and the principal was just not having any of it. <laughs> um, 
Because I said to him, you know what? I have so many. I, at the time, I had five dresses. I said, but I'm clean every day. You know, it's a very conservative dress. It covers everything. You know, mm. but he just said it looks the same every day. You know, so I was just kind of struggling, like negotiating with being at work and and then also trying to think of these relatives that are just so livid by the way that I look all the time. Um, and then, of course, the, because the pattern was not actually the most attractive uh, pattern ever, I guess. Um, so... Um, I think those are the reasons. So, so what I did was resign from my job. <laughs> I think that's what saved me. I just left. I just thought, mm-hmm. you know what? Um, uh, I, you know, because I, I think for, for, you know, I was also at an age where I lived my 20s and my 30s being so concerned about what other people think, about what I do, and how, mm-hmm. I, and the kind of decisions that I take, uh, you know. That I was like, when I resigned from the job as a teacher, I just thought, God, you know, because I'm already doing this and I'm already here and I'm already making decisions and, and there's so much that I'm already mapping out for over the next five years. Let me just commit to this. <laughs> and I left teaching and I just kind of stayed at home and I just fashioned myself into being an artist full time. Um it hasn't been, it wasn't easy. It's, it's, it's not an easy, because I always say to the young artists that have jobs, I don't recommend to do what I did. It's not a recommendation. <laughs> you know, because you, you can't be an artist full time and also be fragile. You know, you need to be tough because it just gets to, uh, you know, periods where things just seem a bit shaky and impossible. You know, so mm. so you really can't be fresh. I you you cannot. Um, so I, yeah. So I I just then threw myself in the deep end after those three months, and I just decided to perform continuously. You know, and and kind of develop this work and and then make Theodora very visible and uh you know and then go through what I I've had to you know and then I also have. In that performance, I gave birth to my daughter in 20, I start 2013. I gave birth to my daughter 2015. In the, I wore the dress throughout the pregnancy. <laughs> Stayed away from the dress. And I guess it shielded the pregnancy because when I told people that hey, I have a child, they said, which one? I said, this, I know I have a baby. <laughs> so, so I was able to kind of shield my pregnancy. For 40 weeks underneath that dress. Wow. Um, mm. and then um and then I went to hospital to give birth. I was wearing it. I left the hospital, I had it on. Wow. I continued um even when she was born. I was just like, and then I remember was I too she I, I gave birth by C-section, so I had to stay for seven days. I put it on every day. Mm-hmm. You know, not sit on wow. top of the bed. Um, you know, so I, you know, and then, and then, and and one, in the first few years of my child's life, that's all she saw basically. And then when I took it off, you know, she would go and take them out of the wardrobe because she wants to go out and buy ice cream. Cause I think in her head, she kind of understood Mm -hmm. that I don't leave without this dress. 
So then, then that's when I decided to go pack them in storage. You know, so that my child could kind of cut off the, this performance work um, and, and this new um, uh, phase that I was entering. You know, and also helped by my young nephews and nieces who were born. Some of them were born with me performing, or were like one or two when I started. Um, you know, to, to kind of say now, you know, we are done with this phase of my work. I'm moving on to something else. The dress is coming off. Um, you know, and 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 funny enough, I have not, I took it off as when two years ago, almost no, a year and a half. The people were still asking me where it is. <laughs> Why am I not wearing it anymore? <laughs> anyway. Um, I mean, I, I won't put it on again. Uh, yeah. You know, even though in, in, in terms of working with photo montages and creating narratives, it's still going to appear, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to put it on um and wear it every day like I, I did. Um I you know and suddenly in the next phase I'm I'm not going to be seen with it in public. You know, even though it it would be a very significant part of so sorry the work that I'm developing. But it, it won't be seen. I won't be seen in it in public, you know, and and I certainly will not undertake durational performance again. You mm. know, I think I think it was just so heavy those six years I carried this performance that I I I just uh, you need to recover. Yes, I'm still recovering. I'm still recovering a great deal from it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Thank you very much, Nzeni, for being part of this. I think there is. Uh, a really beautiful way that you talk about your work and it also there's a lot of complex and very layered ideas um, and you mm-hmm. said so much today that was that gave me a lot of insight so I'm really excited to share this episode with everyone um, and I'm also looking forward to the next phase of the work and and seeing what what happens so thank you very yeah. much I, no, no, I think it was it was great um, talking about about my work, you know. And one always hopes that it, what I what I say makes sense, um, because you know, uh, um, you know, I have so many ways of thinking about what I do um, and the processes that I use to work. Um, that, um, but but at the moment, I've, uh, for the next two years, I'll be largely reading. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. I think there's so much I've I've kind of taken on this new initiative of reading every day, um, you know, reading novels uh, in the continent, mm. um, and you know, and see how many novels one can read in the next two years while I sit in and develop the next body of work. So I'm on another creative journey at the moment. What are you reading now? Now I am reading. Uh, let me check. I'm reading the Iliad by Homer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, and and the reason why I'm reading it is because I picked up there's this books, uh, 27 books that Garcia Marquez says that they shaped his creative thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading the list of those 27 books. 
So I've just read <laughs> Thomas Mann, The Magic Mountain. So I'm reading Iliad and I'm going to read mm-hmm. Kafka and the Russian. Because I have time now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm kind of kind of <laughs> into, in, into like reading uh, lists that a lot of these great authors and theater makers say influenced their creative thinking and influence the way in which they develop images. So I'm just kind of going through lists. Um, yes. So, um, and then probably early next year, I'll start talking about these books that I'm reading, uh, that I've read, that I would have read this year. Um, and yes. So, so I, I will talk about them next year. So this year I'm just mainly reading. I think it's like reading is really interesting to as an exercise, especially for artists. But I'm also just curious, like, I mean, just listening to you talk and you have a lot of different ways that you talk about your experiences during the performances, which I'm interpreting really as oral history, as this way, like you're passing mm-hmm. down all of these stories. And I think like books do the same thing. So I'm also just like, well, is she going to come up with a book or like, what's the tea? What's happening? <laughs> No, I, I don't know if I'll come out with a book, but yeah. but I'm, I'm I, but I just I'm I'm just kind of so fascinated by a lot of these, uh, you know, my favorite writers and mm-hmm. and, and a lot of theatre and poetry, and that I thought on the journey to developing who Theodora is going to be, um, and you know, let me just delve into other people's thinking space, um. imagery. Um, so I'm so I'm soaking myself in a lot of literature. I do it every day. Okay. Um, I've, you know, I've done it every day since this year has started. Uh, I think the Iliad is novel thirty-one now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um. So um. So I'm I'm going strong. I just want to see if end of the year I could have I could have, I thought I would do a hundred, but I still have other engagements. So I want to see if I can at least do eighty by end of the year. Um, yeah, and 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 see where that can take me. Yeah, that yeah, that sounds like a plan. I think I'm gonna try and match you on that, and maybe we can talk about it again. And yeah, <laughs> my eighty books, your eighty books. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Sanzoni. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tammy. That was a really wonderful conversation. I'm really excited and glad that we got to talk to this incredible, incredible artist. Um, I'm looking forward to her sharing her reading list and doing more of her work. Yes, and thank you to Sanzoni Maricela and Tammy Langchu for joining us in this really interesting conversation. It was a meaningful way of highlighting the complexities that are involved in the act of waiting itself. Hope to catch you guys on the next episode. Bye. Bye.